Welcome back to Lifestyle Club, the podcast with me, Helen Drury. And me, Maggie Devine Inman. As wives of former professional footballers ourselves, we started this podcast to give a voice to a community that often doesn't get heard because of a stereotype put in front of them that people don't always look beyond. We often hear the football story from a player's perspective, but on this podcast, we hear from those close to the player, the wives and partners. So with the help of our lovely guests, we're opening the door to a world the public don't always get to see by sharing our guest stories of their life in football, where we'll be tackling a range of subjects from mental health, supporting their partner to breaking down stereotypes. We're really happy to be chatting to today's guest, one of Lifestyle Club members, the lovely Gillian Quinn, on her experience of life in football with her husband, former professional footballer and all-around Irish legend, Niall Quinn, who during his career played for clubs such as Arsenal, Man City, Sunderland, as well as receiving 92 caps playing for the Republic of Ireland's national football team. We're speaking to Gillian about her life in football and the challenges both her and her husband faced during his transition from the game. Firstly, Gillian, that's an incredible career Niall had. Hi, how are you being with us? My pleasure. Yeah, we're so happy to have you because when we first um, spoke to you, we thought, oh, we need to have her on the podcast because that was like our whole conversation could have been a podcast that first time we chatted. (laughs) (laughs) Like, why didn't we record this? So thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much for having this conversation again, probably. It might be no, some, no problem at all. Some repeats. But we like to always start with um, how, how you met your partner, how you met Niall. Right. Well, we met back in 1990 and um, Niall, was, Niall was playing for Ireland. Um, and so we were kind of your stereotypical um, couple in football in those days. So Niall was a professional footballer and I was a model. And um, we met on a job that we were both doing. And I was living in Ireland at the time and he was living, he had just moved to Manchester City after the World Cup in 1990. And um, we got on really well that day and then started dating and I'd fly over to see him and he'd fly back to see me. And within six months, um, I had joined an agency in Manchester and I started working over there and I moved over. So I was only 19 at the time, leaving home. And so uh, within a few weeks, Niall proposed. And then the following year, we got married. So I was 20 and he was uh, about, wait, he was 25, nearly 26. And um, we we lived in Manchester. He played for City for uh, probably six or seven years. And we had two children at that time, Ashling, who's now 27, and Mikey, who's now 24. And then we moved to Sunderland and he had, uh, we had another seven years there and it's been, yeah, we're home. We're home back in Ireland now, 18 years today. So it's, um, it's been a hell of a ride, but we're, we're married nearly 30 years. Next year is 30 years married. So oh. Oh, that's <laughs> I mean, lovely. that is a hell of a, like, it, it goes fast, isn't it? Mm. You know, like you, you said that you, you know, it all went quite, happened quite quickly and you were engaged before you knew it sort of thing. And that is quite, that's quite typical of football, isn't it? It is you, once you step into that football bubble, particularly if you're a young girl, um, it does, you know, it, you're in it and then you get swept away in it, don't you? And before you know it, you're leaving home and, and live, moving in with them. Yeah. Like it, it, was, it was a total whirlwind, you know, like there was no way that we could have stayed together if I'd stayed living in Ireland. And, mm-hmm. you know, Niall's career was, was far bigger than mine at the time. And so it was a no brainer. I, I was the one that was going to have to move. 
if, if, if we were going to have a relationship. And, you know, at that age, we were totally obsessed with each other and <laughs> devastated at saying goodbye at the airport and all of that. Oh. So it just made total sense for me to move over. So no regrets. I agree. I think it's um, you, you do get swept away in the whole romance of it all, don't you? And like you said, his career, it's it's not a career. Football isn't a career that you can pause and say, well, you know, follow me with my modelling career. Um, you know, you have to follow him. It doesn't stop for anyone, does it? So I think that's sometimes why people often think you know, from the outside looking in, you're thinking that the, the partner is always moving around with the football. But that is that there's no choice for that. You either follow them with everywhere they go or you do have that relationship that's apart and and that has challenges in itself doesn't it I would say so like certainly in my day it was never an option it, you know say from when I was moving from city to Sunderland um it was never an option for me to stay where I was whereas I I think nowadays it's it seems to be more acceptable for girls to stay where they're from or stay where they're settled um you know and I, I'm not judging anyone for that. If that works for you, that's great. But certainly in my day, 30 years ago, that was, it was never even thought about. It was completely assumed. You know yourself, the player moves um, the day he signed, packs a bag and off he's gone. And then it's up to you then to sell the house, find a new house, move schools, you know, do all of that kind of stuff. And it, it was just, it was never an option. You know, in those days, wives were kind of um, seen but not heard. Yeah. You didn't have a voice. You just did as you were told, really, and what was expected of you. Did you yeah, feel I, like, oh, sorry, Helen. No, go, go. <laughs> did you feel like you were able to continue your career? Like, while once you'd moved, like, you know, obviously you said you signed with an agency, so that you were still working, but did you find that you had to kind of give things up in order to, like, keep on the his kind of path? Yeah, uh, I continued to model in Ireland and in the UK for a few years. Mm. Um, but then once we moved to Sunderland, uh, that wasn't really an option. Um, right. I didn't think that modeling in, up there was, maybe it's different nowadays, but certainly it wasn't big on the scene. And for me to work, continue working, I'd have probably had to be away a lot down in London or Manchester. So, mm. um, uh, and with two young kids, I, it kind of just fizzled away. Mm. Yeah. And I think a lot of the time, wives and partners, you do, you are making those journeys with your partner each time he moves to a new club. Because if you're in a city that you don't have a support network or family and friends, you you either have to go fully back to home, like with, which would have been Ireland for you, or you do have to move around. So it you can't just, um, I think some people do stay in, in some cities that they move to, but it really depends Like if your kids are settled and that it, it most of the time, like you said, you do just keep moving club to club, don't you? Um, yeah, well, it's just uh, it's I just uh, kind of knew what I was buying into when, when I when I went into the world of football. I knew that that was part and parcel of it. You know, there was there was one one time Niall um, was getting a move to Malaysia and I went I went with him. I was pregnant on Mikey at the time and we went to Kuala Lumpur and um it wasn't uh, it wasn't ideal the situation and I kind of said look I'd, I'd never stand in the way of your career but please don't make me move here I can't live here I can't have my baby here I can't you know, it just wasn't uh, I wasn't comfortable and so um, it worked out way better in the end because he got the move to Sunderland straight after that but um, gosh uh, that that was just one time I kind of went I can't I can't live here it's just mm -hmm. too hard you know. 
Yeah. yeah, because you are very lonely. Like I think people don't always. I think you, it's easy to look in at football and think it see all the glamorous side to it, which there is elements to that, of course. But it, it doesn't matter what league your partner is in. If you move to a foreign country or a place that you really can't relate to, or you know, if, the fact that a player is training six, five, six days a week, a game on another day, you are on your own. Um, so to be out of your comfort zone that much, especially when you have children, that's tough for any relationship, isn't it? You know, it doesn't matter what your partner does for a living. Absolutely. But do you know what I thought was quite, what was helpful was um, when the kids started school, it, it, it opened up a whole new opportunity to meet new people. You know, obviously when you go to the club and you meet other wives and there have been certainly some wives in, at each club that I'm still friends with, which is fantastic. I've made lifelong friends at different clubs, but um, but it, it opens you up. Once your kids go to school, then you've got other mums at school. And so you, there are opp- more opportunities there to, to meet other people and, and make friends so that you're not so alone. You know, reliance on yeah, exactly. You know, and I had I I was big into horses, so um, that was a whole other whole other group of people that I that I met, particularly when I went to the northeast. Um, so that took up a lot of my life. I was very busy with that. So you know, because Nile is you know as an international, you're away a lot. Mm. You know, there's, you've got your end of season tour with your club and then you've got international duty all summer and then you've got pre-season tour with the club. You know, so it's um, he was away a, a lot more than just a domestic player. So um, I, I needed to have my own life as well yeah. um, mm-hmm. to keep me occupied. Otherwise, um, it would yeah. have been very quiet. That's a great transition kind of thing to 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 know that you needed your own life and you needed your own things in order to fill the time when he was away so that you don't feel like lonely and you had those groups and those kind of like communities around you, which is, I think some, sometimes you might, if you are with your partner young and then you get swept up and then maybe you don't go and make those friends, maybe you don't have kids yet, but it is a a lesson to kind of learn. And, And it sounds like you kind of made that transition really seamlessly, but some people I think might not understand maybe why they feel a bit lonely when they're away because they've not made those connections through like horse riding or something like like having like that's something on our site we really try and make sure that wives and partners have their own thing as well um because sometimes it can get easy to get caught up because you you have to support them in so many ways um exactly well when I first moved over I was you know I'd be sitting waiting for Niles to come home from training going oh what will I make him for lunch and Mm -hmm. what will I make him for dinner and you know and and it just became it was a lot of pressure on him because he was my whole life and he knew that I'd given up my life in Ireland to come to be with him and so Mm. you know like I'd be going oh my god he's five minutes late back from training where is he and you know it just creates this whole pressure whereas if you it it can be hard to throw yourself into something you Mm. know a whole new group of people but like I'd know support I'd no family I'd no friends over there so you know I, I didn't have a choice I had to I had to just kind of bite the bullet and go and make a life mm-hmm. um, for myself and I think that's what it you know it's a bit daunting especially for girls coming from foreign countries where they know nobody but if you can just if you have a hobby or you you want to maybe start a course a night course or some kind of college course or something just that's going to get you out meeting other people because it'll really stand to you when he retires as well. Yeah. yeah. 
And I think sometimes in any relationship, you assume you, when you have a relationship, it's, you follow the one, the one path, but actually you don't. You have two very separate paths, but you want to grow together. You want to go along together, don't you? So if, if he's doing football, rather than you sitting at, at home waiting for him to return from training, so you're like, right, what can we do now? Because I've been in all day. Actually, you've got your own separate path and you just, you just go along nicely together, don't you? You complement each other's lives rather than depending on him solely to to provide the life you know so yeah, to entertain you yeah, yeah, yeah basically yeah. to keep you entertained like because a lot of the time Niall was Niall could have slept for Ireland never mind play for Ireland so <laughs> when he when he would come home he'd have his lunch and then he'd probably go to bed for three or four hours you know and then get up yeah. and have his dinner and have a bath and go back to bed again like he was big into sleep so yeah you know They're I've not, been waiting a long time <laughs> to entertain me <laughs> I know they're not meant to be traipsing across the city doing touristy things. They're meant to be, you know, like the, the whole reason that they're training in the morning, they're meant to rest their bodies in the afternoon. Yeah. And you're like, where can we go? But saying all that, because obviously you've mentioned the amazing clubs he's played for. What were some of the highlights for you guys? Um, I suppose um, one of the, the most standout ones, but which would be the most recent, would have been going to the World Cup in Japan. Um that was that's not somewhere that I would ever have thought of going to on holidays. And so we brought the we brought the kids um, and it was it was off the back of Niall's testimonial. He had a testimonial. Uh, Ireland and Sunderland granted him a testimonial. Um, and that was that match take, took place at the Stadium Elite just before the World Cup. So it was it was kind of bittersweet because it was this amazing night um, and it was it was all for charity, and um, you know our kids went on the pitch, and it was quite emotional because mm. it was we knew it was coming to the end of his career as well, and we knew that the very next day he was heading off to Japan with the team, and I wasn't going to see him for a month or six weeks or something like that. So it was it, it was this amazing night, and then I remember crying driving home because he was gone. He was he was mm. gone, joined up with the squad, and that was it, and. Uh, it was um, that was definitely, you know, a, a hugely proud moment because mm. I suppose because it was the four of us there um, mm. and it was, you know, it, it was it was really yeah. memorable. And Niall played half of the match for Sunderland and half of the match for Ireland. So it was oh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, and and it both. really it is quite yeah. I mean, my husband had a testimonial with Norwich and he played they played against Celtic and it. And their fans are amazing anyway. So it's a real unbelievable atmosphere. But it does feel like that because my kids were like yours. They went on the pitch with their dad. And and I remember sitting in the stand thinking, I felt quite sad because I knew we weren't staying, but the fans didn't know that. Um, but yeah. he, knew, he, he knew his contract. They, they weren't going to... Um, resign him so that was tough but at the same time you just it's just an end of an era isn't it mm. you know you the, the the city have welcomed you as a family you your kids uh, you know feel that is well it is their home we're still back in Norwich because we loved it that much and I think it's yeah it's it's bittersweet isn't it there's you know it's an emotional day at any sort of testimonial because it's a celebration of someone's amazing career but actually mm. it's like I said the end of an era and that's always yeah. yeah that's that's not always nice is it it's sometimes quite emotional <laughs> Yeah, you know, there's been some amazing days out, like going to Wembley and things like that. Unfortunately, it's always been for like playoff finals and it's, you know, yeah. <laughs> not that good coming home after you've been beaten at Wembley, you know, things like that. But but just the opportunities to travel and to, mm. to, to go to places that I wouldn't that we wouldn't have without football. Um, so I suppose they they would stand out and and the friends that we've made through football that we're still friends with now. And um, 
they would all stand out as highlights from from our time in football. Mm. When we're just on the subject of retirement, so the next question is kind of about uh, more about some of the things you're well, getting into some of the things you're working on now, but players can retire from playing football for various reasons. But a lot of the time a player's career often comes to an end quite suddenly and unplanned. Um, you mentioned in our previous conversations about Niles retirement from the game didn't go as smoothly as you hoped. And how was the time for you as a couple when he retired? Like, it sounds like the testimonial was a lovely kind of ending part of it but then how was the rest well the the world cup in japan um started off quite uh it was a lot of heightened emotions and there was a lot of a lot of trouble um you know that's been well documented um that the whole episode in saipan and so so when myself and the kids arrived to Japan, it was all very, um, very tense. And it, it was, it, you know, it, although it was an amazing experience from on a personal level for Niall and I, it was it was difficult because we knew that this was his last crack at international. He was going to be sub and, he, you know, he came on and played, but it, it was quite emotional because I knew it was kind of the beginning of the end for him. Yeah. And so. Um, we we came back. Myself and the kids came back before Ireland were knocked out, and um, Niall had come back from this, you know, hugely exciting time. And he he came back into Sunday and went back into training. And there was a change in management at the time, mm-hmm. and Niall had kind of begun a, a player coaching role. And when the new manager came in, he made it very clear to Niall that he uh, he was Niall wasn't going to be part of his plans, mm. and so that was that was a massive kick in the teeth for him. He 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 didn't see this coming. He kind of thought he was going to drift into a coaching role, and when the manager basically said, uh, "I don't want you," you know, I just hang around for a few weeks just to help help the fans warm to me. But then once once they've warned to me, I'm going to let you off. And Niall was going, I'll tell you what, to make it easy for him, go now. And so yeah. it was a massive knee-jerk reaction. You know, Niall left home that morning, a footballer, and came home and went, I'm done. And mm. I was like, what? Like, can we talk about this? And he went, no, no, I'm done. I'm finished. Mm. So it was a huge, um, massive knee-jerk reaction. You know, it's mm. kind of the worst kind of transition uh, apart from someone who's had to finish through through a a bad injury Mm -hmm. and you know so it was unplanned unexpected pretty much involuntary and and so it was we were kind of in shock yeah you know um and we were like well what now and he was going well well, I don't know and so (laughs) it was we just had, had no had no plan and so we were like, well, we better just go back to Ireland then, because that's what we said we'd always do. We'll just go back to Ireland and see what happens then. And um, it was uh, in that time um, when when Niall kind of got over the shock of what had happened. Um, I mean, he was 36. Like, it was going to be coming to an end pretty soon anyway. But um, it, it, it just as, as time wore on, he was getting in worse and worse form. And he wasn't really talking to me about it. And, um, you know, as I said, like I had a life. I was, you know, I did my horses. I was the kids, I had my own friends. And and he was kind of moping around a bit. And I 
that, you know, we'd never heard of players suffering when they retired from playing football in those days. It just wasn't on the radar. Mm -hmm. And I was going like, what's wrong with you? And he was going, you know, I don't know. I'm just a bit, I'm just a bit lost. And, you know, I was going, why? You know, he's going, I miss the lads. And I'm going, go and see the lads. And he's going, I can't. I'm finished. I'm gone. They, I can't just walk back into the club. And so because he was miserable and depressed, you know, he, he went about finding his own way to keep himself entertained. And that involved, you know, going racing and going drinking with his friends and uh, going to the dogs and, you know, playing a bit of golf. But like he was he was kind of going down the wrong road really and that, that was, was that was um that was his coping mechanism wasn't it I guess because yeah if, if you jump off that I mean I always think football's a bit of a treadmill it's so fast you don't stop you've got like your training day in day out um you know you've got that month or so off every year um which is sometimes mentally exhausting because you don't know you know are you getting that content renewed are you looking for a new club you're on that fast-paced treadmill so for when he jumps off he's got to learn to cope with that cope with how you and the family are going to be but also cope with his own I don't know grieving process if you like of coming out absolutely he's known and loved for so long so I guess they were his coping mechanisms but to as a wife you're probably thinking that, not that selfish, that's the wrong thing to see, but you don't always know why, you don't always understand what someone's doing and why they're doing it. No, I mean, gosh, if I if I knew them and I know now, it would have been completely different. If we all yeah. did, it would have been different. But certainly the first Saturday um, when he should have been playing, you know, I was going, oh, great, you don't have a match today. I don't have to make your breakfast. You know, quick, empty the dishwasher there and any chance you drop the kids off at their party. And he was like, <laughs> you know, Jesus Christ, you know, give me a chance. And it, 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 and he just did it, but it was so uncomfortable for him. Like it wasn't, it, it was just, I, if, he, if we had been, if we were able to talk about it and if he was able to say to me, listen, I'm devastated. I feel like my heart's been ripped out part of me has died you know you've got to help me with this then it would have been totally different but he didn't it was as much a shock to him as it was to me that Mm -hmm. he found this like a death It, 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 it felt like a death to him so um we just thought okay the best thing we can do now is just get back to Ireland and everything will be fine then so you know we pack up we sell the house you know we had nothing in Ireland we had to rent a house in Ireland we had some land but we had there was no house on it it was just a field so we um we came back and we rented a house and, and of course you know after the first few days of the euphoria of that you know you're moving back into Ireland where there's a Celtic tiger everybody has loads of money, everyone's going out all the time and they're all playing golf and he was having a whale of a time and going racing and we'd race horses and it was all amazing. And then when the, the excitement of that calms down and you realise, God, it's, it's things still aren't right because he doesn't have mm. a reason to get out of bed in the morning. He's got no sense of purpose. Um, you know, and he was he just got very low basically Mm. and because we weren't speaking and we weren't communicating about what was going on you know it 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 was very hard we we we've came very very close to breaking up the Mm. you know it was a year or two of of extreme toughness um we were very unhappy we were very very unhappy and 
it was when he when he was asked to go back to um, to the UK, he started working for Sky, which gave him some kind of a sense of purpose and a sense of his identity again. And that helped. And then when he was asked to um, he, he put together a consortium of people who bought Sunderland. And that was a fantastic opportunity. So he was chairman of Sunderland for six years. And that was when I kind of said, look, you're going to have to do this by yourself. The kids are settled in school. And this was the one time that I went, you're going to have to do this yourself and commute. We're not moving back to the UK. We've set down our roots here. We built a house at that stage and we all had a life here in Ireland. And so that's when he he went back to the UK. And um, somehow we, we managed to keep it together. And I, you know, we'd go back and forth and he'd go back and forth. And we we worked it out, thank God. But, you know, I'm I'm so grateful now that we were able to get through that period of time and we weren't one of the horrible statistics. Um, I'm so grateful for that. Um, that that's why I've kind of making it my my life mission to try and get to the bottom of this and to try and help other people because I really feel if if girls like you were around at the time and you could get through to couples like us um, we wouldn't have had to go through that awful period yeah. yeah it is just like um one of the things I think that we really try is just preventative because talking about it, like you mentioned a lot about communication wasn't great at that time between the two of you. And maybe you didn't even know what, like me and Helen, even from starting this, we've learned so much about understanding coping mechanisms and why people are doing certain things and what that might mean and what conversations to have around that. So, and, and also what to know that it's not, nothing's personal. And as a wife and partner, it can feel very personal when they maybe go down the wrong route of coping with something. But we, we also try and really raise awareness about that. Mm. Um, I mean, just talking about the statistics, um, I know we've chatted to you before about this, Gillian. You said, um, and Maggie and I found this out when we were building this site, it was one in three marriages ending within the first year of retirement from football, rising to three out of four ending within the first three years. And that is, that's the key, isn't it? It's those first three years where, like you said, Nar was finding coping mechanisms. Well, it's, it, it's really, it's really tough on, on the family as a whole, particularly the player, you know, obviously he's, he's he's no longer a footballer and so if 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 you've so invested in that identity for 20 years I'm a professional footballer this is what I am and then suddenly you know at the flick of a switch you're not so mm-hmm. if I'm not a professional footballer who am I mm-hmm. what 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 am I what am I getting out of bed for every day you know there's there's so much research out there now that not there's some in football but in in athletes as a whole and um it, it says that one of the most important things that you should do the day after you retire is go to the gym try and find a routine you know it, because apart from the fact that mentally you need to have somewhere to go is when you get out of bed your your brain the chemicals in your brain need the exercise Mm. every day you need those neurochemicals every day to you know you know that there's a lot of research out there about depression and they say you know go for a walk go for a run exercise will give you those endorphins and so you know if you can do one thing when you quit it's it's continue to exercise in some form I know a lot of players have to retire through injury but if you can find some way of every day keeping those those neurochemicals going in your brain you're giving yourself a 
fighting chance, some sort of a chance of, of staying on the straight and narrow. I hadn't thought of that before, but that's so true because you think about all the endorphins and highs and how everyone, especially even with lockdown, we're saying, just make sure you get out. That's why you could exercise once a day, even in those strict conditions, like it, it helps you and not physically, but mentally. So if you have that huge crash of like, you know, you're doing two a days or whatever you're doing, and then you also have all of the other, you know, emotions of dealing with the transition and you're lacking that high from the working out, like the physical physicality of it is, that's a huge tip for them to, you know, because I think a lot of them, a lot of even professional athletes think, oh, I'm going to have a break now. I've been doing this every day. Like, I just want to yeah. sit on the couch. It's the worst. It's the worst thing you can do. And at this also, I read an interview Ryan Giggs did a few years ago and mm. he, he knew this was coming. And so yeah. he went to see um, a psychologist who said to him, that was the one piece of advice he gave him. He said, mm. get out of bed in the morning, join a gym, like maybe 10 minutes from your house, you know, and get out of bed and go there every day. Because the thing is, it's at least it's going to give you a reason to get out of bed and mm. it's going to keep you in a routine because yeah. you've been institutionalized for the last 20 years of your life. Yeah. You know, you need the routine of to get up and go somewhere. So, and at least then that's done. That's what you've been used to, get up and have your breakfast. Now, obviously, mm. you know, you might, the, the bonus is that you might actually meet other people at the gym and you might have a bit of crack there because that's kind of, I think, what Niall missed the most was the banter and the crack in the dressing room. And he just missed the lads. And me and the kids just didn't cut the mustard. We're just not <laughs> saying crack as the lads in the dressing room. So, um, you know, the, the bonus would be that you start to meet people outside of football. And if you could even start that before you retire, well, then mm -hmm. you've got that habit ingrained um, before, before D-Day, you know. Yeah. I mean, for an outsider looking in at marriages in football, I, the media or just people that aren't really aware of football or just see that stereotype of, you know, the materialistic, the 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 glamorous wife and the and the the footballer that doesn't, you know, that only knows how to kick a ball. I think a lot of people would would assume that the high rate in divorce the divorce rate being so high with football is it's oh the money is drying up oh um you know the the wife leaves because he's no longer a football which is the only reason god forbid that she was with him in the first place that is such a bad assumption to make because a getting divorced is not it's not a it's not a thing to joke about like that and there's so much more behind the scenes of why a marriage breaks down any relationship breaks down Certainly, you know, when I first found out about the stats, it was when Niall had gone back to Sky and also just back to Sunderland. And he'd, he'd go, oh, I met such and such, you know, such and such a player. And and I got, oh, how's his wife? And he'd go, oh, no, they're gone. And I was like, what? Like, they were solid. Like, what do you mean they're gone? And, and this was happening constantly. And yeah. I was going, how are all these, how is this happening? And he was going, you know, the, the, it was the, the conception, the popular perception out there was that, well, you know, oh, well, he's no longer a footballer and, you know, they don't, he's not earning the same money. So she's moved on. And I was going, look, do you know what? I'm sure as in all walks of life, there is a small percentage of girls who are doing it for that reason. But there's no way the girls that I knew were in it for that. Mm -hmm. And, and I was going, so it started me thinking, going, why is this happening? And then, you know, I was going, well, Jesus, look at the trouble we went through. Mm -hmm. This must have this must have an impact it's got to be um a massive contributing factor the pressures 
you know, of of when he retires, um, especially if you don't know what hit you, it's like falling off a cliff and you don't know. And if you're not talking to each other and you're fighting all the time and it, it you know, it, it's obvious that things just disintegrate, mm-hmm. you know, because the player, some players are delighted to retire. I personally, I don't know any, but, you know, research says some players actually feel a relief because yeah. they're not they're no longer under the massive scrutiny the criticism of the press you know and it is a bit of a relief for them but for the vast majority of players it's like a death and so you know if anyone has lived with anyone with mental health issues you know that the, the pressure that that puts on the family as a whole is immense and you know and if everybody's trying to make adjustments at the same time and nobody's being kind to each other and they're all in bad form you know of course it's all going to implode mm-hmm. you know and a lot of players as we know you know from recent tragedies um you know a lot of athletes and professional footballers are already suffering with mental health issues so add in retirement to that and is it any wonder it, it all goes pear-shaped mm. Yeah, and, and I think retirement as a as a as a whole, like you said, there is the odd few out there that that do happily take on retirement or choose to, and you know they're financially secure and they're in that headspace already. But for the majority, exactly like yourself, the ones I know, it is a crash landing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You are literally just most of them are unplanned um, retirement, and it is a little bit like oh gosh, it's it, it happens all so quickly, and it is like you said, a death almost. So I think for any like divorce doesn't just happen it doesn't just happen for for no reason at all because oh I, I don't fancy them anymore or the money's dried up it's not like that it's you like you said that for anyone that has a big change in their life whether it's if there's depression if there is financial issues if there's an addiction if there's I don't know uh, maybe a player doesn't want to be with his partner anymore or, or she doesn't want to be with him at the end of the day that it, it can break those sort of issues can break up the strongest marriages the strongest relationships and I think it's why it seems to happen so quickly for footballers because divorce is out there anyway this isn't a weird thing that just footballers are getting divorced divorce is, is acceptable nowadays people don't have to be in a relationship they don't want to be in but the reason why it's probably so the statistics are so high probably within football for those first few years is because there's so much change isn't there mm. in that comes into a relationship that doesn't that usually in your everyday couple would probably happen in certain steps wouldn't it like over like 10 years over 10 20 years yeah. exactly mm-hmm. over 10 20 30 years yeah and you know like when and and I think what we often talk about Maggie and I is retirement in football happens really when you are still quite young Mm-hmm. um relatively you're not you're not playing football till you're 60 70 years old so you think finally I can put my feet up you know you're you're in it you can't believe you know you can't believe you're still not part of the team because you can still do this mm-hmm. and especially in your mind you're thinking that so I think all these issues like you said the depression of the grieving of losing you know not having that that routine that foundation that you've had that you've you've you know your family have been in for so long I think having that or maybe your finances aren't aren't necessarily in the right order of when you retire because that's huge as well because you know that that's enough to make most families mm. you know roast relationships struggle you know financial issue but if you have all these things you know that that's hard to get through and you can get through it but it is still a challenge to get mm. through yeah and you know I, I haven't really touched on um 
well, I did, I did with Niall about where you can get, where the player can kind of have their own coping mechanisms and go down the wrong road. I was looking at some um, research last night that the PFA did a few years ago, and um, one of a couple of sentences out of that really kind of struck me. And they said that the emotional instability of playing primes players for addiction mm. because the neurological highs and lows of playing are, are quite addictive. Yeah. And and that that addiction is fed then when they retire, it's fed by gambling, gaming, substance abuse. Um, and because you're looking, your brain is searching for those highs and lows, those yeah. neurochemicals the the that you've exactly that you've become addicted to. Mm. And amazingly, they are the exact same chemicals in your brain that get peaked when you're roaring a horse home or you're mm. out for a bet or you're you're gaming and you're getting all of this adrenaline that you know they are it, that that becomes your new addiction because you don't have the highs and lows of scoring a goal or having your name chanted by 50,000 people you know and and you miss you miss that you physically miss that and players don't realize that those very same chemicals are the chemicals that are created when you're gambling and that's mm-hmm. why the gambling addiction can go through the roof because mm-hmm. you you have the time you don't have the money anymore but you have the time and you're craving those highs and it makes you feel good like wow well, I have to get a winner or even the anticipation mm-hmm. you know of, having of the a control. horse yeah, yeah. Having control as well isn't it it's it's if it like you said if um if you're not picked to play or you're having to retire and you and you don't quite want it having that finding something that you can have control over that you like you said you can find that high and low with that's dangerous if it's not the right type of yeah know. if it's not channeled in in, yeah. in the right direction and so i think obviously if that all starts to escalate on top of you know possibly you know depression um anxiety not sleeping maybe not eating properly not exercising you know is it any wonder that, that mm. things go badly wrong and you know you it's 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 so sad because at the time in a player's life when he most needs the support of mm. his wife um and those around him you know what an awful way to end to end a career you know so you're you're depressed you're you're probably going to get divorced your wife is going to head off possibly back to the other end of the country with your kids you're going to lose half your money you might have a gambling addiction and is it any wonder that half of them are bankrupt within five years yeah. when that's how it plays yeah. out? And exactly. And, and I think for a player in that situation, if all those things are changing, you feel abandoned, you feel hurt, mm. you feel like you've got, you know, no one would understand. And as, as we know, particularly with men, they, they, take all, they take all that on, don't they, themselves, and they wouldn't want to share those mm-hmm. issues. They already come, you already at retirement, a lot of players talk about like, you know, like the phone didn't ring or not feeling wanted anymore. Like I'm not ready to retire, but it just happened. And then, so you're kind of coming from a baseline of feeling unwanted. And then you're chasing this roller coaster that gives you the similar highs like you talked about, but it's not in a positive way. And then Mm -hmm. you're kind of chemically bad. Like the, the people who are successful at football usually are really you know, they're really determined people, but they're, they're set up for, you know, this, this roller coaster that, and this regimented life. And then everything is changed. It's just, it's so much. And that's what, like, I think we get so frustrated when the wives and partners are almost like, um, 
like blamed there because like that they've left and they've not been supportive, but like the, everything had their partner could be almost unrecognizable because they weren't given the tools. The partner wasn't given the tools to kind of deal with the, the second part of their life, like the retirement and the, you know, next phase. And the wife and partner wasn't given the tools to understand maybe some of the coping mechanisms and help them out of those paths. It's, it, it's just so preventable. Totally. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. this is just so, you know, knowledge, knowledge is power where mm-hmm. this is concerned. You know, even there was an amazing piece of research done recently by a Professor Lavallee, and he's like a, a world leader in sports career transition. Mm-hmm. And it's in, in, in Olympians and in rugby players, but like people in football have hardly heard of him because, he, mm-hmm. you know, as we know, football is a very closed world and mm-hmm. and we're, we're all very protective of each other in it. And um but this guy's research, he did a piece of research in 2019 on 600 rugby players, right? And the name of his paper is Engagement in Sports Career Transition Planning Enhances Performance. So he examined 600 players over three years before they retired. And his findings were that, that, that the players who planned for their retirement were selected more, their teams played better, and their careers went on even longer. Because... Mm-hmm. If you have planned for your retirement and everyone around you knows what's happening and we all know we're all in the same, we've the same common goal. We know what's going to happen. It's all planned. Mm. You know, you can go out on a Saturday and play and it's in the back of your mind, you know, if, if anything happens to me today or if this is my last game, it's okay. I have it's everything. Sorted. Yeah. It's all sorted. You know, you, you can sleep at night. You know, this is a really frightening time for these guys. You know, retirement is such a frightening thing. And I don't blame some of them not wanting to think about it because it's, yeah. it must be overwhelming. You know, at what point in your life of, as a footballer have you ever had to go, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? And I know, do you know what? I'm not even going to think about it. It's just too scary. I don't even want to go there. I've got a, like a wife and kids. I have people dependent on me. Do you know what? I'm just going to concentrate my football. I'm not even going to think about that because mm-hmm. it, it must be overwhelming, the, the pressure. But if, if, they could just, if they could just understand that if you were to think about it and to try and take steps, you might actually sleep better at night because you know um, that that yeah. box is ticked. Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't, I guess... You wouldn't fear it because you've already gone there. It mentally, you've already gone there. You've already discussed it with your partner. You thought, right, will the mortgage be paid off for when I retire? That's that's the house sorted. That's our home sorted. Can I keep our debts down throughout the end of my the, the second part of my career to make sure I haven't got that to worry about? And if you, t- uh, you know, have I thought about what I would like to do? Is there something mm-hmm. I can try and do now that will put me ahead? of the players that retire at the same time. Because I think when we spoke to the PFA, it was like, oh, there's hundreds of players that retire each year and there's not enough jobs for everyone in football. Of course, not everyone wants to be in football, but the majority, if they need to still be working, they will try and fall into something that they're already like you know, qualified for, but there isn't enough, jo- enough jobs to go around. So I think when the dynamic of your relationship has solely been around football, if you if you stop that suddenly and unexpectedly, that's enough to make everybody go into panic mode, isn't it? And what sometimes happens, even for the most loving relationships, when you are panicked, stressed, scared, scared being the biggest, you go in on your, you turn in on yourself. You, you block that person out because it's fight or flight, isn't it? I guess at the end of the day. So if you, like you said, if you aren't planned for what is evidently definitely going to happen, 
But in, in the beginning of a career and even in the midst of it, you sometimes think it's just far too far to think about. But if you aren't planning for that, that's when the trouble ha- will happen. And it will come so unexpectedly. Hence why then you get these crazy divorce statistics and everyone because everyone's just, you know, so unaware that that was going to be them. You know? Yeah, like but, but you know what, there's 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 nothing more certain in life than a player is a player is going to have to hang up his boots. It, it's going to happen. A hundred percent. Nobody escapes it. You know, there's nothing more certain than, than death, really, that you are definitely going to have to hang up your boots someday. And, you know, it, 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 you'll make the ride all that more enjoyable if you can be prepared for it and just take steps to yeah. make it a little bit easier for yourself. Because, you know, whatever about the financials, um, even somebody who's retiring with millions in the bank, yes. they still need a sense of purpose. They still need a reason mm. to get out of bed in the morning. They're still going to be devastated when they're not going in to meet the lads and they're not training and they're not getting to play. And, you know, you're never going to. That, that This is the other thing without being too fatalistic about it. You know, you're never going to replace it. You know, mm. look back in your career and go, that was amazing. My God, like I'm against all the odds, all the thousands and thousands of players that don't make it. I made it. I had an amazing career. I achieved this, this and this. You know, I provided for my family. I've, football has given me a fantastic life. Look back on it with pride in what mm-hmm. you've achieved rather than being devastated, you know, and, and, and thinking, what can I do to replicate that? What, there's nothing you ever do in life that's going to give you that high really unless you go into maybe management you know but but it's going to be a different kind of high and Mm -hmm. how many players get to go on and become a manager you know exactly yeah but be happy it happened not regretful of how it ended or that you didn't achieve what you thought but like Mm -hmm. you I think what what you just said then what you touched on is so important mental health can happen to anyone so if you do have money completely sorted that's all nailed it doesn't Mm -hmm. stop you feeling that loss of a job that you let, let's be honest it's it is a job it is job at the end of the day but it's something they were passionate about as a child that hmm. the fact that it was a job was the last thing they were thinking about they just wanted it to be something they did every day and mm. it just happened to be something they got paid to do um, yeah and um, through, through your experiences and your research what kind of steps because you've kind of talked about steps that couples can take to prepare their relationship for life after football and help reduce the devastation of divorce, but do you have any, like, cause obviously we haven't necessarily touched on, on what the research you're doing, which we will do, but um, have you kind of come, had any findings of what you're seeing as a pattern that people need to do or are doing that are helping in this as a couple? Well, when I, I, I did my, I start, I went back to college when I was 40 and did a psychology degree and I thought that would give me all the answers, but unfortunately <laughs> it didn't. So three years ago, I started um, a, a doctorate. So I'm doing um, a, a PhD mm. on the reasons why um, so many footballers, relationships and marriages break down during the sports career transition. And so I'm, I'm halfway through that research now. Um, there is no piece of research in the world on any sport that can explain the impact of retirement on the couple's relationship. Nobody's looked at it. So, you know, so here's the stats, you know, we all know the stats, but nobody's ever looked into why, 
Why mm-hmm. do they break down? What are the factors that contribute to these horrendous statistics? So that is what I'm trying to find out. But in in the meantime, you know, reading between the lines and looking into research in other sports, mm-hmm. um, the NFL are quite good at, at looking into it. Um, but um, I suppose, it, you know, um, early on, what I'm what I'm finding is that if if couples can prepare and and accept and recognize that this may be a really difficult period of time for them to go through. So they go in it kind of with their eyes wide open and accept the fact that it's probably going to be a grieving process for the player. And, you know, just allow him to go through that and and support him and just be kind to each other because it's a massive change for everyone involved. Um, You know, obviously, if the player can find a reason to get out of bed every day um, particularly to go to the gym or or do something active every day that would be a huge help and also if you can tackle your undesirable life choices as soon as you can so be that if that's gambling or drinking too much or gaming is another big issue and try and get help with that before you retire try and knock that stuff on the head before you retire because it's only going to get worse because you're going to have more time in your hands and you're going to be looking for something that makes you feel good. So if you can try and, you know, recognize that and get some help with that in advance, that would be a big help. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is while you're playing, while you're actually playing, try and diversify your interests, try and find other things. You know, it, it, it doesn't have to be something as big as, you know, I'm going to do a degree or I'm going to do something huge. Just try other things, you know, have have other strings to your bow so that you're not just fixed in this identity as a pro footballer. So maybe it's do a night course online. You know, I, I could, uh, I was the same. I left school at 14. So I would have been mortified walking into an adult education class because I think they're all going to think I'm thick. I've, mm-hmm. you know, I've no education, you know, I'm going to, they're just going to think I'm stupid. And, and, and imagine if you're a famous footballer and you're walking into that class having left school early mm. you know you'd be mortified so just do stuff online you can you, nobody needs to know about it just little courses online I know the Open University are doing lots of stuff and uh, you know baby steps teach you how to learn so mm. that it would just to be di- diversify your interests a little bit mm. have something else going on in your life not just football because you've yeah. got the time you do have the time if you could just commit to doing getting involved even one night a week doing something but like some of these online courses are very short and you know it's a baby step it's like a little you know little diploma or you know that might last 10 weeks or something that diploma wouldn't be 10 weeks but you could do a 10-week course just as a little taster and Mm. that could build the whole way up you know and it's just to give you something else to do and to start to build those blocks so that you have the confidence to go, well, do you know what? By the time I'm finished football, I might have, you know, X amount of GCSEs or A-levels or, or, or not even that high an achievement. But it would give you the confidence um, and some skills to go into the workplace and to do something else. And mm-hmm. it would definitely make that transition a lot easier if you had if you had something else in your toolkit. You know, and the other thing is you need to be patient with yourself. It's not going to ha- come to you overnight. You know, try something. If it's not for you, try something else. You know, it's it's it might take a bit of time for you to find something else that floats your boat other than football. You know, just be patient with yourself. Um, and 
you know, and with regards to the, the couples themselves, I just can't emphasize enough that if if you haven't got the skills to communicate openly, the PFA can recommend people for you. And I'm sure you girls have have counselors that are highly confidential. You know, that that would have been a big issue for Niall when we were struggling. I was going, you know, well, can we go and talk to somebody? And he was going, no. Like, mm. no, like they'll just sell our story to the newspaper and that'll be it, you know, and it could be all over the place. And because there was just there's no trust there mm-hmm. for outsiders. But nowadays with the PFA and with you guys, you know, you can recommend people that, you know, are affiliated with the PFA. These counsellors are are trusted and they understand the life of footballers mm. and they can help you navigate your way through this and help keep the lines of communication open. So if you can't, sometimes couples are just so stuck, you know, maybe just having someone objective sitting there and going, well, you said this and you said that, and why don't you just try this? It does really help. It can really help get you through it. We didn't have the benefit of it because Niall wouldn't entertain it. But I, I know from, from my studies that the, the benefits are vast. Mm. Yeah. And I, and I think, do you know what? It's so true, isn't it? I, I, I think we can all sit here and sort of say, it's, it, start thinking about the what ifs. So if you, the, the whole communication thing is so important for any couple, this isn't even to do with football, but any relationship, start, start having those conversations about things that can happen, things that are likely to happen. So then when it does happen, or if it does happen, it isn't a shock to you all. And you don't naturally just go in that, you know, shut each other out you know have a go at each other blame each other because that, that's the problem I think that's what happens a lot with this the statistic with football there's a lot of blame involved of you should have done this then we wouldn't have had to be like this you should have thought mm-hmm. of this and then it's like well what about you I think there's a lot of that and that can happen in, in any any relationship football or not and I think it's if you haven't when you when you're in football and you are kind of sort of dictated by that whole industry of you're just kind of like going along football controls the whole of your lifestyle to be quite honest with you so when you then but in that time you're not really ever faced with any of the the questions that happen so 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 much in retirement and it's like it's like that whole nagging wife thing isn't it if your partner retires and prior to them retiring from football you've never discussed can we still live in this house can the kids still go to this school do we have to move for you to get a job over there what are you going to do for a job what how are we going to you know I I don't know all these questions plus the fact that you're coming out of a game that you love so much though all those questions at once is an is a pressure cooker isn't it and it's enough and it's enough to make any marriage just just completely explode explode and 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 when you think about it you know if you can get all that stuff out of the way before he retires isn't Mm -hmm. it much easier because you know if you can imagine you're saying to your husband every day you know what do you want what are you going to do what do you want to do what and he's going I don't know you know and you're going yeah but what are you going to do and how are you going to pay the bills and you know and he must just want to go just go away from me you know just leave me alone so much pressure exactly Mm. so at least if he's if you can just touch on it regularly before he finishes, at least mm. you've been through that and you've you've examined it and you've opened the door to it and you've you've thought about it before the shit hits the fan, you know, <laughs> and that's yeah. been dealt with. Yeah, and it, you, know, it is, you mightn't have answers, but at least yeah. you've thought about it. Yeah, and it is the wives and partners who are the ones who are like I don't know if it's unfair. I mean, you are a, a partnership, but they're the ones who kind of have this responsibility in a way like the player does as well, but like the agent, the club, 
the manager, none of those people are going to talk to you necessarily. They might do, but about, you know, the questions that you and Helen were just saying about like, what are you going to do after this? Or how are you going to pay your mortgage? Or can your kids still go to that school? And it's kind of the, the wife and partner's not responsibility, but like, if you don't want it to kind of be like at the end and when all the questions are asked at once, you kind of have to be aware to kind of have these conversations beforehand so that we can be like, okay, tick, that's done. We don't need to worry about that right now. When he retires, mm-hmm. we know, you know, what we're going to do about this house or, or job wise. So, and so the wife and party can help so much to, to make that transition easier and more easier to navigate and happier. And there's a lot of, um, there's a lot the wife and partner can do for that. Um, yeah. yeah. And it, it, the other thing that isn't it isn't going to take too much time and it's not that far away from what they're doing every day is like, you know, do your coaching badges, at mm-hmm. least, you know, do that while you're playing. And at least that's one option for you when you quit. You know, it, there isn't enough coaching jobs at every football club to take on every former player. But, you know, at least it, you might be a little bit ahead of the posse if you have your coaching badges in place mm-hmm. and um you know, and don't just assume that you're going to stay in football. Oh, sure, I'll just get a job in coaching or I'll just, um, I'll be a manager or I'll be an agent or I'll be, you know, I'll work in telly. Yeah, it, there just isn't enough jobs. And and, and you yeah. know that, you know. And I think yeah. by doing the coaching badges at that time, you are already kind of starting that conversation with yourself about what you want to do after. Because my husband did the coaching badges and he was like, I don't want to be a coach. So that was like, okay, you're not going to do that. So now you have to think of what's next. But for so, you know, if he had left it maybe till after or, or years later thinking, going down a different, a different path and then thinking, well, I'll just go back. I'll just do that. Cause that's what I'm supposed to do. And then realizing he doesn't want to do it. Well, he's even further behind, but at least yeah. he's ruled it out. At least he's exactly. ruled it out at that early point, you know, yeah. and, and, and it's, it's, it's not like any skin off your nose. You're still earning money. You're still, mm-hmm. you're still paying the bills because you're still playing. So there's yeah. no major pressure. It doesn't have to work. You know, exactly. it's just something that you're trying on and, you know, see if I like this or not. Like, because not everybody is cut out to be a coach. Mm. No more they're cut out to work in telly or be a manager. You know, they all have their individual skills. But if you don't try, at mm. least at least you've, you've, you've tried it on and you've ruled that one out and you go, OK, well, that's not going to happen. So what else do I fancy doing? Whilst mm. you still have the bills are being paid, that is the best time. What we did mm-hmm. um when Niall was, we were in Sunderland, we thought we'd quite liked, because we were big into horses. So we, we started racing syndicates. And so mm. we bought 30 yearlings one year, like 30 horses. And we'd syndicate them out to loads, loads of friends. And it was a massive amount of work. And we were going, this could be, a, a you know, something for us to do when Niall finishes. And I, I'm very glad we did it when he was still a player. Because <laughs> it would have ruined us if we did it when he finished, because, you know, it's, it wasn't it wasn't a viable way of making money and, and making a living. But at least we found that out before, yeah. before it devastated yeah. us, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And exactly. I think that's what goes back to you saying about that whole the research of shows that playing, um, planning your like life after football helps you while you're still in that career, it can help your mindset because you're, you're not worrying about that. You've actually handled it. You've, 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 you've faced it already. You like, you faced it um, you know, straight on that this is going to happen. I'm going to deal with it. This is, you know, you reassure your partner because a lot of the time in football, the, the player, it's not like they take the main role, but a lot of the decisions are, ma- uh, are made based on his, his job, his, the path football will take for him. So when he's then faced with you asking a million questions, when he now no longer has any 
plans or any choices because he's retired and he's like I don't I actually don't know anything now like I haven't got my agent telling me what to do and I and I don't know what we're, we're meant to be doing I think that's when everyone goes into panic mode but I think you summed it up nicely earlier when you said that what was it about the, the research that you had done was it particularly on rugby players I think it's if you've got that planned if you plan for life after a career you can then really just put your you know the most into that career because you're not exactly. worrying about something it's, else you know the, the key thing here and I really hope that this that there's a way of getting this out there because I know I know managers I know certainly in in, in certainly some maybe older managers will kind of go oh well if you're already planning if you're planning for your retirement you're already there and yeah. that's just total bullshit I'm sorry like it's <laughs> it's just so old-fashioned and so yeah. narrow-minded you do not have to be focused on something 24-7 to be successful at it you know it, this this research that Professor Lavely has done has has completely blown that argument out of the water you're actually your your player is going to he's going to play better he's he's going to play for longer it's going you know and if the whole team were doing it my god you know they'd be unbeatable yeah you know their mental it, health it, will be better won't it? absolutely the psychological side of the game is they're not going to be distracted by the what ifs because they've already thought about it. They've already discussed it and it's exactly. they've got plans. Yeah. And like, I know managers don't really care about what a player does after he retires. You're no longer my problem. Good luck. But <laughs> if they could get it into their head that it's actually going to enhance my player, my player is going to play better if he has planned for his retirement. Mm-hmm. If you could get that into your head then you go, well, it's a no-brainer. Why wouldn't you let them? Why wouldn't you actively encourage them to prepare for retirement? Because you're going to get the best out of them. They're not going to be desperate, running around like headless chickens, terrified of getting injured or, you know, with this angst in the back of their head all the time. Their mind is clear. They're able to focus on the game because Mm -hmm. they have this inner confidence that knows that, you know what, everything's going to be okay. If Mm -hmm. I get a career-ending injury, which God forbid, we're going to be okay because I know what we're doing. A quick question about your um, research, because I just wanted to touch on that, um, because obviously you are pursuing a PhD and that will result in a lot of research about specifically the topics we spoke about today. Um, Are you hoping your findings will give more like clout validity to the argument of the transition, the couple's kind of um effect on on footballers and the di- and the divorce rate are are you at the end of everything is that what you're hoping to kind of just give it give <clears throat> more like real solid facts to to just encourage players and their partners to look at all these various things we talked about yeah so like i'm i'm out of football 18 years now and i'm sure things have moved on and things have changed and um, so I right now I don't have all the answers and and you know I have my own hunches from my own experience and friends' experiences of what has caused these issues, but that's not good enough to make changes and to say to the world these are the reasons footballers' marriages are breaking down. I need hard evidence of that, and so it's 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 a hard one to you can't find it. You can Google what causes footballers' marriages to break down, or, you know, go into Google Scholar. But, but, but I know because I've spent years and years researching this, nobody has done this research before. And so I'm, I'm hoping that, um, you know, when you do your PhD, you've got this massive book at the end of it. Nobody's going to read that. Nobody mm-hmm. cares. It's, you know, it, but what I want to be able to do is condense it into simple, 
plain steps that you can take. These, these, this is what my findings are. This is, you know, these are the aggravating factors. This is what you can do. Because by the time I've interviewed, you know, the players and the wives and ex-wives and ever, had everybody's point of view um, on this and, you know, their suggestions of what might have helped or what did help, because I don't want to find out just why they break down. I want to find mm. out the ones that stayed together. Yeah. What did you do? How did you end up keeping it together? What, you know, what steps did you take so that you can give some practical advice? So I, I wanted to, hopefully it, the findings will be significant enough and that, you know, useful enough that people, I can get it out there to the people who need it, which are current players, um, their partners, their families, sports psychologists, football clubs. I don't care about the general public. You know, it's, it's nothing to do with them, really. You know, mm-hmm. I, I just want the people, the stakeholders in this, the people it affects. I want them to know what these findings are mm. and, and hopefully it will prepare them. And hopefully um, and if it's based on, you know, like this research is taking six years, you know, this is not just a whim I've had to I'm doing it with Dublin City University I've had to go through an ethics committee for two years to make sure they were happy that everything I'm doing is ethically correct and done properly and confidentially so that you know so that it will be respected in the academic world and therefore people in football will pay attention I hope yeah it's so commendable what you're sorry it just it's so commendable what you're doing because as me and Helen know there's a lot as women, you know, we're working in football in a way. And then there's a lot of, you know, stereotypes against wives and partners and what you're doing is going to be so helpful for all the future partners and players that will get to see your document, get to, to hear about the findings, even if it's talked about in a podcast with a whole different set of people. And they talk about Jillian Quinn did had this, you know, findings and all that, you know, it will help in so many ways. And and we know how hard it is to do it because there's not so much support necessarily like at the, you know, we found that it has been an uphill battle, you know, and it takes a long time and, and you're, and you're doing it for a niche group, but it's a group that desperately needs attention and wives and partners are so often kind of put under, they're under the radar, they're under the, you know, kind of pushed aside. Um, but they have a huge impact and this is, this is um, great stuff that you're doing. So we'll really commend you so much. Niall and I wanted to divorce. You know, we, 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 we were at that point. Mm. And I'm just so grateful that we managed to come back from that. And if my research prevents one divorce, if, if, mm. it, if it helps one couple go, Jesus Christ, this is tough, but we can get through it. You know, if we just do this, we can actually get through this and come out the other side of it and live the rest of our lives happily ever after, well, then it will have been worth it if mm. I can prevent one, if I can prevent one divorce. Um, and, and you know, it's not just the players that my heart breaks for. It's it's the wives and it's their families. And mm. it is the, the effects of it are so far reaching. And, you know, it's obviously, I mean, the national statistics are 40 percent of all marriages end a divorce anyway. But for us to have it as 70%, like, mm. come on, like we can. And in that, that short, and like you said, in that it's why Maggie and I, one of the main reasons Maggie and I started the Lifestyle Club was to bring awareness to the wives and partners, the person, that the, you know, the closest person to a player, the most invested person into a player with a player. Like we were trying to bring awareness to the issues such as divorce, because it's, it's, 
it's so it's so important to try and help prevent some of these issues it's like the whole been there done that you know like you can look back now and say well we got through it but like you said there's so many people you know that didn't get through it and they're often preventable things and and it's important to to bring awareness to those sort of things um but on a light-hearted note because that's mm-hmm. quite a heavy it's a quite a heavy topic we've covered today yeah, but it's is. important it's important no one really like you said touches on this but actually mm. Maggie and I were like we are definitely touching on this because this is a this is a big thing um so let's do some quick fire um okay. is that okay with you yeah <laughs> okay right so what helps you get your day off to a good start Right. Well, I'm I'm definitely not a morning person, so it's <laughs> it's it's not easy. <laughs> um, uh, I can't really speak civilly to anyone in the morning, so I, I tend to need a lot of coffee. And I have five dogs, and so they they kind of wake me up and they bring me around. You know, lots of doggy cuddles and lots of coffee, and so that's what uh, that's what gets my day off to a reasonably good start. <laughs> Good one. Love that. Um, what's your go-to self-care moment? Your ritual or routine or activity you do to take care of you? Right. Well, last year when we went into lockdown in Ireland in I suppose March, it happened us here. Um, I kind of like everybody else felt like I deserved a glass of rose every day in the sun because the weather was amazing and I was baking <laughs> the banana bread and and I, I I quite quickly put on a stone in weight and so <laughs> I I decided I needed to kind of change my whole lifestyle because I turn my I'm 50 my next birthday so oh. I was kind of going to need to kind of get control of this now so I read a book called Human Being Diet by mm-hmm. it's it's a lady in London she's a nutritionist called um, Petronella Ravenshire and so the Human Being Diet has uh, completely transformed my health uh, I obviously I lost I lost the stone thankfully, and uh, so so that is kind of my my routine is is how I eat really mm. it's it, you know and it's feasting and fasting so I'm not like permanently on a diet you know it's it's just it, you know I can have pig outs at weekends and drink as much as I want and eat as much chocolate as I want but you know Monday to Friday I'm kind of uh, careful so that's other than having like a bath and a face mask and hair mask and. Um, you know once a week I'd, I, I might treat myself and relax and do that but really um it's it's how I eat is is how I mind myself oh. well I feel like the third one you've kind of answered with that book yeah, that you book. just mentioned but do you have a podcast um Instagram Twitter book that you we all need to know about you know I do have a book and it's not the diet book <laughs> it's, <Okay>. called, um, <laughs> it's called The Choice I read it. Um, I read it last year. It's the choice by Edith Edgar, and she is Egger. Actually, it's E G E R. Um, she is. It, it sounds very heavy. Um, she's a Holocaust survivor, and um, it's it's really a book of inspiration and love. And you know, it goes through the horrors of what she went through mm-hmm. in the Holocaust. But um, I, I took a note actually of what Oprah said about the book. She said the choice is a reminder of what courage looks like in the worst of times, and that we all have the ability to pay attention to what we've lost or pay attention to what we still have. Mm-hmm. And so I think when you're going through the worst of times, obviously, you know very few people in this world experience anything as horrendous as the Holocaust. But like we all have very bad days and you kind of, when I think of that book, I go, God, well, (laughs) look what she survived and she's at the other end of it and she's still living life and having, you know, and being an inspiration and she's amazing. You know, I can get through today. It's 
Mm. It's like all about perspective. Anything it that is. Oprah likes, I'm, I'm signing up for. I'm buying that on Amazon right It now. is an amazing book. It's a bit jarring at times, certainly when you, the atrocities and the awful stuff or parents being killed and stuff. It's Ugh. There are some horrible Ugh. things, yeah. but mm. but you do really, it, it's really uplifting. By the end, you're kind mm. of going, come on, you know, I'm ready. Yeah. Bring it on. Yeah. yeah. Oh. So what what is it all for? The grind, the hustle. At the end of the day, who or what drives you forward? Um, personally, and you know, it would be, it would be Niall and Ash and Mikey, you know, the four of us, um, all pushing to be the best that we can be and healthy and happy and, and content really. It's, it, 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 that's kind of what, what drives, you know, the four of us are still living together and um, lockdown has forced, you know, they haven't been able to fly the nest with what's going mm-hmm. on. So, so that we're all still here together every day. And, um, luckily it's life is good. And, and that's, that's probably what drives me, you know, and on a, on a professional level and um, this research, you know, I feel every day that it's not out there and it's not, it, it's not making a difference. It makes me anxious, you know, so I'm driven to get this done mm. as soon as possible so that, um, hopefully it can start making a difference it's quite funny though isn't it because we said to you before when we spoke to you you doing what you're doing and Maggie and I doing what we're doing it kind of fits quite well doesn't it you Mm. know it's 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 not been done before when we were in football this you know the like you said the wives and partners were often not even thought about you know they're just off on their own doing their own thing and and actually it was quite a nice fit wasn't it you Mm. it's good timing I think for us to yeah yeah, it was it was great because, you know, you, do, you you think you're furrowing your own little path and there's nobody else doing this. And then I came across you guys and I'm like, yay, you know, because like, <laughs> you know, certainly in the world of academia, people are very protective and they keep what they're doing to themselves because they don't want somebody else to do it. And, you know, it was said to me, oh, God, don't tell anyone what you're doing. Somebody else might do it. And I go, if somebody else does it, that'd be fantastic. You know, mm. it means it's being addressed, you know, it. Yeah. If somebody else started this research tomorrow, then great. Let's build as much research as we can on this and mm-hmm. get it out there and make a difference, you know? Yeah, and collaborate. We're, we're the same. Like anytime we hear anybody doing something in our space, we want to introduce ourselves and work together because the more, there's not enough. There's not enough resources out there. There's not enough statistics and data. And, and the more we can all do together, I mean, hopefully all of this inspires a new wave of women coming through and, and who are going, pushing the boundaries and doing even more like that's the hope. Yeah, absolutely. And then lastly, a mantra, a saying uh, that you live by. Um, I suppose if, if, if you were to ask anyone in my circle, what, what would be the most common saying I would use? It would be for it's, it's what's for you won't pass you. Yeah. which I think there's probably English. It's kind of an Irish one, but uh, it's it's just a, a way of helping you um, accept that if you've been really hoping and praying for something to happen and it doesn't happen, you kind of go, well, it obviously wasn't for me. It wasn't right for me. So that's why it didn't happen. Something better is on the horizon. And so yeah. that's kind of um, my saying is, is uh, you know, what's for you won't pass you. It's a positive way of thinking. Really, it's a good. It? It's a good way to see see life. I mean, there's been so many opportunities me and Helen have wished and hoped for with the website in particular, and the haven't come. And you know, it's been a long road. And then, but then things. You know, it, it's if it was for if it was right. And now, years later, we think, oh, I'm so happy we did. God, that didn't happen. Didn't happen. We weren't <laughs> yeah. ready for it, or it was the wrong path. And so, it's a great one to live by. So um, perfect for so many different situations in life. <laughs> 
Yeah, absolutely. And especially when I'm living with, you know, three adults here and my dad lives with me as well. Dad's nearly 90 and he lives with us. Oh, and, cool. yeah. you know, it's, um, it, you know, and everybody has their own path and they're, and they're hoping for this to happen. And, you know, and then if it doesn't happen, they're devastated and you're going, look, you know, it wasn't meant to be right. And then in hindsight, when you look back a year later, you go, thank God that didn't happen. Yeah. You know, it would have been a nightmare. So, <laughs> you know, so let's just bring that forward a little bit and accept that it wasn't right rather than having a year of misery wishing. Mm different you know yeah for sure well thank you thank you so much Gillian like we've you know like the first time we spoke to you this it's just you say such good things and it's totally how Maggie and I think as well and it's really lovely that you shared your story and you know um of you and Niall and his time in football and then that you know difficult time afterwards but um it ended positively (laughs) you're still still (laughs) happily married (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. yeah Thank you so much. Oh, you're very welcome. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me on.